0: What is up Kangaroo Chasers? Carbs here and yep, we're in between seasons 2 and 3 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast, but I thought I'd jump in with a sneaky Ask Carbs episode uh just in between the NRL Grand Final and State of Origin 1 just to, you know, get the juices flowing and keep my recording uh technique on point if I can. But uh yeah, just thought I'd do an an, an Ask Carbs and I went out to Uh, all of you guys on the socials to figure out if you have any questions for me and I can sort of answer those right now so we had a bunch of questions as always plenty of questions so thank you to anyone who asked us any of you kangaroo chasers out there listening who asked via twitter facebook or instagram and i just remind you if you want to ask me any questions anytime you can look up chasing kangaroos on facebook twitter or instagram I'm also on linkedin so uh, a few people connecting with me on linkedin Uh, I've got be warned, though. Little disclaimer: I've got two LinkedIn accounts. So there's my professional Michael Carboni, which is uh, me in the real world doing what I do Monday to Friday, and then there's Chasing Kangaroos Michael Carboni. If you uh, ask for a connection on the professional one, I'll probably ignore it. But um, yeah. And the way to know the difference is you'll know you'll notice the Chasing Kangaroos symbol on my Chasing Kangaroos LinkedIn account. If you want to connect with me there and ask me some questions there as well, but thanks to everyone who asked questions everyone who reached out and um yeah good to good to be recording one in between our seasons here ask cubs episode 002 and uh i'm titling this one is there still a code war because when i did ask for questions and reach out for some questions from you guys a few people were asking things about uh the code war between the two rugby's league and union does it still exist where does it exist why does it exist so that's going to be the main question that I answer right at the end of this, but I've got a bunch of other questions too, which I'm going to try and answer, you know, as quickly as I can, but in as much detail as I can as well. Um, big, big apology to anyone who I don't get to. There was, as always, plenty of questions asked. Um, I'll try and answer a few of them here, uh, but yeah, apologies to anyone who I don't answer and I'll, you know, ask me again on the socials, I'll try and answer via text or something like that. But, um... Before I do, just say, like, just watch the grand final, uh, NRL grand final the other day. And um, to be honest, I was a bit disappointed. It was a pretty shit game, in my opinion. Um, All due respect to both sides, obviously. But uh, I think that grand final, for me personally, like, I built it up in my head. I thought it was going to be one of the greatest grand finals ever. Um, I could not split the sides the week leading into it. I had no idea who was going to take it out. I just thought best teams in the comp—they've been fantastic all year. This is going to be one of the greats, and I built—it's my fault really. I built it up in my head, um, you know, and it just wasn't that. And when you think about it too, we always build up the grand final, but very rarely is it even anywhere near the best game of the season. There's probably been two great grand finals in uh, in my living memory, maybe two or three actually. I don't remember '89 well, but '97 ARL. And I think it was 2015 Broncos-Cowboys was a great one as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard to get a fantastic grand final. But it was good, and uh, congratulations to the Melbourne Storm. What I really liked about the Storm Storm's victory was afterwards when, you know, Cam Smith and the boys were saying their speeches and they said things like, you know, we're doing this for everyone back home in Victoria. This is Victoria's grand final. And as an expansionist... Um, I thought that was really good. It's great. And, and the work that the Storm are doing and us Sydney-siders, we cop a lot of flack for our our hatred for the Melbourne Storm. But I love what they're doing and I love how they're really carving out that niche. There is a spot in all Melbourne Victorian sporting fans' hearts for the Melbourne Storm. And credit to, credit where credit's due. They've done a great job. So great job, NRL, getting the season done. We're looking forward to State of Origin and... um looking forward to more rugby league in 2021 and hopefully some internationals as well uh, which we missed out on. Uh speaking of internationals or speaking of rugby league fans around the world to be honest with you we, I um I just thought it was very interesting I put out a little post on our socials about who where people are watching the NRL grand final from and we had a really good response and I was just shocked and amazed to see where our listeners and NRL fans are watching the game from so we had I'll go through a few of them, so shout out to Suheel Allah, who was watching it from Morocco, Simon Garland from Cardiff in Wales, shout out to you, mate, uh, Mike Simpson, a good friend from the Gold Coast, uh, Jake Teeney, watching from Manchester, UK, Ivan Hernandez, watching from Mexico, uh, Paul Buchanan, good friend of the show as well, watching from Caledonia, Ontario, Canada, and uh, Tech, watching from Warsaw, Poland, we had uh, Stuart McLennan, watching from Canberra, Adam Rollinson, watching from Leeds, David Canham, watching from Japan, uh, Nivia watching from Papua New Guinea, Roland Funmat, watching from Papua New Guinea as well, Keith Braid, watching from South Korea, Freddie Amos Lakera watching from Egypt, um, we had uh, Sammy watching from Lebanon, Eric Stewart watching from the UK, Nelson watching from Sweden, Matt Skies watching from Paris, Andy Stringer watching from Lee in the UK, uh, Sam watching from Lima, Peru. We had... Who else? Where else are we? Jake... Uh, Jaku watching from Papua New Guinea, Jacob watching from Papua New Guinea, the boys at the Rotterdam Peoples, obviously watching from Rotterdam in the Netherlands, uh, Izmi Turkey was another one, um... We've got our good friend John Christie watching from Moscow in Russia. Russia. We had a couple more puppies in New Guinea. We had Christie Long watching from Toronto in Canada go the wolf pack. We had Mickey watching from Belfast. And we had Mike watching from uh, Port Stewart in the Netherlands as well. So great to see people from all over the world enjoying the NRL grand final, getting behind it. And, uh, you know, it says a lot to me about the potential of our sport and where the NRL could reach if they tried a little bit harder with their marketing. But anyway, enough rambling from me. Uh, I'm here to answer some of your questions, uh, so I'm going to do that. So let's start with um, question number one, and this one is from uh, Chris Hallenbrook from California, USA, and he's been we've been speaking via the DMs recently, so shout out to Chris. Chris is a new rugby league fan. He's been following the sport for a couple of months, and He's really getting into it, and um, he's been listening to our back catalogue of podcasts, which is really cool, so thanks, Chris. He said, I've noticed uh, you talk about developing nations and emerging nations of International Rugby League. What is the difference? And um, good question, Chris. Truth is, they're probably one and the same, so developing nations and emerging nations. The reason I think we kind of have two different um, ways of describing an emerging nation or a developing nation is the international rugby League back when they were the r l i f they used to call they used to really they used the term developing nations a fair bit uh for example, they would have like the r l i f developing nations play of the year award uh and stuff like that so developing nations was a term that we used a lot or have used a lot as international and expansionist rugby league fans but I think the term emerging nations sort of came about more recently. Uh, So like 2018, there was an emerging nations world cup in Sydney, which, you know, which was, um, which was contested between a number of up and coming nations in our sport as well. Uh, Turkey, Vanuatu, Philippines, Japan, Hong Kong, uh, Poland, um, heaps of great, great nations in our sport and young nations in our sport, I should say. So emerging nations sort of became a term which was used to describe really the same thing as developing nations. So that's why. Um that's why we sort of sat bounce between both. And yeah, good question because uh it's one of those things that I don't even think about. But as a new fan yourself, Chris, you obviously hear that and go, well what's the difference? What's this mean? And it's a great question to ask. So yeah, hopefully that answers that. Uh, another question comes in from Joshua Dean. He wants to know, how does New Zealand get better to compete with Australia? Uh, Good Look, the thing is, New Zealand does compete with Australia, Josh. So New Zealand is right up there. They're currently ranked number one in the world. Um, They're probably ranked number one more because they play more international games, typically, than Australia do in a normal season. And then when it comes to World Cups, Australia are there and they usually win those. Um, So I understand your question. Um, I think for New Zealand to to be consistently more competitive and really, you know, maybe win more World Cups uh, and stay number one for a longer period of time, I think um, we need to see the Warriors winning a grand final. And I know that's probably not the answer that you expected, but I think if the Warriors, if the New Zealand Warriors won an NRL grand final, you would see this knock-on effect around New Zealand. More juniors playing, more kids coming through, more opportunities, more pathways, and more Kiwis in the NRL and in Super League. We already have heaps of them, and that's why the New, Z- New Zealand, the Kiwis, are so successful recently, and why they've become so much more competitive in recent times. Um, but we need to see more of that. Uh, maybe some kids playing Union, deciding they want to switch to League, and and fulfil some opportunities there. So yeah, long story short, look, there's there's so many things that obviously can be done to make New Zealand more competitive, more consistently with Australia. But uh, yeah, the, the my weird answer is, I think we need to see the Warriors win a grand final. And I think we might see that hopefully in the next five, ten years with uh, Nathan Brown doing his thing. Uh, this was a great question from Tina that I didn't expect. The uh, question was, which international team are you most proud of? I thought that was a really cool question. Um, and there's so many ways to answer that. Um, how do I answer Who, which international team am I most proud of? Um, Tonga is the obvious choice. Tonga have done great things over the last couple of years. It's really the reason why International Rugby League is in more of a spotlight than it ever has been or has been for a long time. It's probably one of the reasons why we have this podcast and why it's so successful. So Tonga is an obvious choice, but I'm going to say... Um, uh, I'm, I want to say Greece, maybe, uh, because, you know, they succeeded... in in qualifying for their very first World Cup when they had everything against them. You know, the the sport or the the Greek Rugby League Association competition was banned in Greece by their government because it wasn't recognised as the, you know, official governing body of the sport in the country. Um, They were playing games at midnight after midnight. They had to take international games, home games outside of country just to compete, but they still got there. They still got to the World Cup. So they're one that I am proud of, but once again, like I kind of expected them to make the World Cup based on some of their matchups leading into it. Like for me, they were kind of favourites in some of them, and I expected them to get there. Um, that might surprise some people, but yeah, I did. So I guess the answer, my answer, Tina, to the question, which international team am I most proud of? I'm going to say Jamaica, um, because Jamaica again qualifying for their first World Cup. But they've been doing some they've been building up to it for about ten years. They've found a good balance between their heritage player base in the super league in the u k and their domestic players which are growing their domestic talent is growing all the time their competitions are getting better. There are some good things that we need to be looking out and watching for in Jamaica that's going to make them even better and I think they're going to get the balance right even more so in the future between their heritage and their domestic players, I think you're going to see more domestics getting opportunities and, and coming through, and yeah, they made the World Cup, and uh, unlike Greece, who I expected to make it, I did not expect Jamaica to make it, I really thought the US were going to beat them back in um, 2018, was it 2018, America's Championship, so it might have been the end of 2017, anyway, um, yeah, so Jamaica, I think, is the answer to my question there, international team that I'm most proud of, and great question, thank you, Tina. Um, Mohit Harikisan. Sorry for mispronouncing your name, mate. I probably did, but he want Mohit wants to know what's the status on European Super League. Uh, so, European Super League. I assume what Mohit is talking about is um the discussed uh, club competition, um sort of which the RLEF is looking into at the moment, led by Colin Clayweg. Uh, who's also the boss at Red Star Belgrade and he's had a lot of involvement in Serbian Rugby League, the Balkan Super League, which kicked off again recently, I saw, which was really good. Uh, so uh, not to be confused with Euro 13s, which is a different thing, not under the RLEF. Um, so yeah, the latest on European Super League is, um, heat was that um, Colin was officially appointed as um, the head of a working group, which would I guess, try and research, uncover, work towards, figure out how to uh, get this thing off the ground. Uh, Obviously, a lot goes into that, a lot of planning. Um, It's probably going or has gone a lot slower than us inpatient developing International Rugby League fans would like it. We'd love to see something like this off the ground, Uh, but things take time, obviously. Uh, But yeah, the latest on that. Status is that Colin has been officially appointed at the last RLEF uh, board meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, it's an official position now. He's dedicating a lot of time to it. And hopefully we hear more about it uh, if it's viable, for example, uh, in the next, you know, 12 months or so. But we'll see what happens. We'll watch this space. Uh question from Joey Does Physio. My man, Joey, how you doing, buddy? Shout out to you. Um... Joey wants to know, if some Super League clubs are for growth of the international game, for example, Salford, uh, with their new Welsh pathway, which we spoke about last episode of Chasing Kangaroos, why are they against Toronto? Um, And that's a good question. And things have been a little bit quiet on the Toronto front. Hopefully we hear some positive stuff soon. Um, Joey, look, I don't know, I can't speak on behalf of all of the clubs or anything like that, but think as i understand it like most of the bigger clubs are for toronto they see the positives they see the potential uh with expanding um expanding our uh our audience and ex- and expand expanding potential uh money opportunities as well uh that that would come with that Uh so most of the bigger clubs see that but a lot of the smaller clubs um i think are a little bit threatened by Toronto. So for them, they think, you know, is the big city club in North America coming to take their place? Uh, Are more big city North American clubs coming to take their place at the top of Super League? And I I think that's why a lot of the smaller clubs are against or seem to be against... They're not against international development or growth for the game, I'm sure holistically and big picture they'd love to see the game grow and everyone wants to see our game grow. But when you look down at the micro level, when you come down off the macro, look down on the micro level, if you are in charge of one of the smaller Super League clubs, then you are fighting to keep your place in the Super League and a club like Toronto, a club like Ottawa, a club like New York, um, you'd see them as a threat for for those limited spaces. So I think that's why. Um question in that area as well from at McGee OKC. Sorry, I don't know your real name, but that's the Twitter handle, I believe. And McGee says, uh what is better for growing the game in the US, a New York City team in Super League or US NRL exhibition matches? That's a fucking great question, McGee. Um because I don't know the answer. <laughs> um, it's a tough one. I think the answer is both. And because, like, you got to have it all, right? You can't have one and not the other. I think a New York team in Super League would be great because you have a professional outfit in New York at one of the top leagues in the world, which seems like a great thing. Um, we've seen a lot of the trouble that has happened with, with Toronto. So would New York work? Would would uh the northern union as i now refer to them would they accept a new york team we don't know but ideally and i know this is uh ricky wilby's plans um with new york ideally as they grow um and as they start playing and grow up the uh, grow up the pyramid they would want to have new NRL, nrl exhibition games and matches against nrl teams and things like that as well I think, from an American perspective, from a USA perspective, um, I know I talked to a lot of new fans, and one of them was Chris at the t- right at the top of these these questions. A lot of new fans who have just discovered NRL, you know, when there was not much sport happening this year because of COVID, but the NRL was on. A lot of new fans discovering the sport, they're seeing the sport at the highest level, and let's not kid ourselves: the NRL is the highest competition form of rugby either code full stop that you can find anywhere in the world so we want to expose americans to the top the very best and give them something to aspire to because i have a feeling americans would see the nrl and some of them would think we can do this better and that's how you start to grow things over there so yeah sorry i got out of that question mcgee i didn't uh I don't know what the answer is. Both both is the answer. Um, Next one comes from Pat McCormack. Or Pat McCormack, sorry. He if you could give... Fuck, this is a hard question too, Pat. If you could give 100K to one single developing rugby league country, which would it be? Okay, so I'm guessing, like, if I could sponsor a country for 100 grand, um, would that be enough? Probably not. You'd need millions, eh? You'd need to win some serious lotto. Um, 100K, look, it's a, it's a weird one because like, I'd want to know, I'd want to know what the nations want to do with that 100K. Um, so how they're going to use that to grow, how to, and develop their sport. And that's sort of how I'd figure out who to give that money to. Um, I'd be looking at something around, I think there's potential, in a place like greece i think there's potential in a place like jamaica i think there's p- potential in like california um, i think there's potential in british columbia canada um, there's potential in parts of africa uh, but i think the 100k um, there'd be a lot of potential in some of the islands as well so helping like the tails, silktails uh, helping the png hunters i think they could put that 100k to good use um, it's a hard question for me and I'm going <laughs> to, Pat, sorry, man, I'm not going to answer this one either. <laughs> I, w- I want to give it to multiple nations. Um, I can't just pick one. Um, but yeah, unfortunately I don't know if a hundred K would be enough for a sustainable period of time, but yeah, I want to know what are they going to do with it? How are they going to use that hundred K? How is it going to benefit rugby league in that nation? How are we going to grow? Um, oh, fuck, you know what? I have to pick one, don't I, Pat? I'm going to pick like a Pacific Island, like a, like a, Fiji, I think. Fiji, I'd love to be helping them develop more things. I think there's a lot of potential there. All right, let's do that. Let's say that. That'll probably change by the time I... <laughs> I'll probably change my mind by the time I release this and think, fuck, why did I say that? Uh, this one comes from George Stylianos. He's a pre- good friend of the show, president of the Greek Rugby League Association. Sorry, George, I didn't give you the 100K, but, but uh, you know, maybe next time. Uh, who do you think the next country, other than UK, Australia, New Zealand... Uh, will host uh, to host the World Cup will be. It's a great question. Um, uh, it sucks that you put New Zealand in there, George, because like it's usually alternating between the UK and Australia, and I know New Zealand gets some games as part of that when it's in Australia. Sometimes it did last time, anyway. But I'd love to see a World Cup solely in New Zealand. Hey, like, and I think potentially like there could be one there very soon. Uh, I think that would be great. It goes back to an earlier question as well. How do you make New Zealand more competitive with Australia? Giving them a World Cup and something to celebrate would definitely make things interesting there and and inspire youngsters to take up our our particular code of rugby over in New Zealand. So I'd love to see New Zealand hosting a World Cup. Flip side as well, very similar. I'd love to see France hosting a World Cup on their own as well. I think they could do it. I think it would be amazing. Uh, France are like the original expansionists. They they were trying. They they originated the concept of the World Cup. Um, and back then they were trying to grow things like by getting, by wanting to invite the USA into their world cup, for example, and things like that. And playing games in Serbia back then, like just incredible. So France are the original expansionists and they're the original kangaroo chasers before the kangaroos needed to be chased. And, um, I'd love to see France hosting a world cup. Uh, the other one, the smoky for me is Canada. Uh, I talk about Canada a lot. It's a nation that excites me in terms of potential and growth and and, and development. Canada is a nation that could host our World Cup. I think they could be successful. They understand rugby league. They know what it is, especially in Toronto, places like that. You've got clubs trying to form or or that are formed in Ottawa. You've got rugby league played in British Columbia. Uh, There is... Definitely a taste for rugby league there. They understand it, uh, and there is a lot of potential there. And I think you give Canada a big event like the World Cup, say 2025 or 2029, um, that would be absolutely sensational, and I think it would be amazing for our sport. Uh, so I'm going to say Canada would be a good one. But you're asking me where I think the next country would be, George, and I think the next one would be New Zealand or France. Um Question from Nicholas Mew, our friend in in Toronto, speaking of Toronto, Canada. Uh, Nicholas wants to know, does the working-class heritage that rugby league proudly define itself by act in any way as a deterrent to others who might be interested in the sport? What a question, Nicholas Mew. Uh, Yeah, it does. Unfortunately, it does. Uh, Rugby league is a working-class game. We're proud of that, but it does hold us back. It holds us back in terms of sponsorship holds us back in terms of some fans, holds us back in terms of growth in some areas because really um, not a lot of people aspire to be working class. Let's be honest. It's not <laughs> a thing that people say, you know what, I'm, I I want to be working class. But a lot of people are proud of it in, in many areas as well. Uh, but it's, it's not a demographic that, you know, big sponsors and big brands want to be a part of and a lot of fans don't want to be a part of as well. So I know... Um, Growing up, I always found that strange as well because I'm like I I grew up in you know working class areas, but you know, and I wouldn't say that my family was working class. Like my dad owned businesses, and you know we were comfortable. We weren't rich, but we we're comfortable. So, and we love and we love rugby league. So like it's always strange to me that it's like oh no, this is a working class game. This is a working class sport, and that's it. And it it does it might deter some people. Um, I think. Um, I think Nick Nicholas, what we need to do as a sport, and an interesting case study is um, soccer or football in England in the UK. So that used to be like a working class game as well. It has roots in working class um, England, but when the Premier League really started in the nineties. They had to change the perception of their sport. So, because there was a lot of like, riots and things like that at games, and it was quite dangerous to go to some games, which we've seen in rugby league at stages as well. Um, we probably see it in a lot of sports, but in particular in the UK in, in football. And the Premier League really changed that perception, and it, and it changed football or soccer, it turned it into less of a working class game and more of the people's game. So it didn't matter what part of society you're from, it doesn't matter where you're from, it's the people's game you this game is for you, and I think rugby league has that potential uh because and the funny thing is it's our working class roots that give us that potential because you can't be the people's game if you're a private school game, you know what I mean or if you if you like if you are closed to some part like locations or parts of society, no, but if you're, if you grow as a, from a working class game, that's how you become, that's, I guess, the foundations of becoming a people's game, I think that's what we need to do, and actually, you now speaking out loud, I'd love to maybe record a podcast about that with, like, Tony Collins or someone like that, who, t- I haven't spoken to Tony about this, I just thought of the idea as I speak, but Tony, if you're listening, reach out, I'll reach out soon, and <laughs> that would be a really cool podcast, like a case study on how Premier League, how football went from a working class game to the people's game and how maybe rugby league can sort of mirror that or, or find some opportunities like that. I think that'll be cool. But yeah, Nick, short answer. Yeah, I think we are, we are. it is a deterrent of our sport. Uh, it's good to be proud of where you're from and who you are and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I think we as a sport need to grow from there. Um, so good question. Um, next one. I think we have, I think this is my last question before we get into the big one yeah it is so this one's from rob bergen so rob founder of latin heat and uh involved with brazilian rugby league at the moment as well good friend of the pod rob wants to know this is a great question rob bergen wants to know what will the uh, top 20 international rugby league rankings look like in 20 years Uh, Just looking into the crystal ball here, Rob, it's a a tough one, mate, obviously, I don't know the answer there. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the men's rankings, because there aren't 20 in the women's at the moment, Uh, maybe that's that's something I should have answered, I'm going to go with the men's though, so at the moment, in the men's we've got New Zealand ranked number one, then it's Australia, England, Tonga, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, number eight is France, now I still see all of these nations in the top 10 in the next 20 years, um, but... I think it'll be much more competitive and the order will probably be different. So in particular, Papua New Guinea and Fiji, they're going to be higher up. Uh, and it's simply because of the pathways that are in place at the moment from those nations to the NRL. Uh, Papua New Guinea, you guys on this podcast, you've been hearing a lot about through the Hunter system and all the work Matty Church and his team are doing. So there's a great pathway there. We're going to see more Justin Ollums coming through the NRL and PNG will you know, become more competitive and definitely rise up the rankings in 20 years' time. The other one is Fiji. You know, you've got your kick you've got happy Coruscal guys like that that are there. Uh, kick owl is born in Fiji, Appy is not, but he's got that heritage. Um, and of course, the Cavite Silk Tails, they're going to be doing a PNG hunters style thing in the New South Wales Rugby League uh, as well via their centre of excellence in Suva and all the great work that Petro Sivaneseva and his team are doing over there. So we're going to see a pathway automatically open up from Fiji to the NRL. We're going to see some great plays coming through. So I think, yeah, those top eight nations will mostly be the same, but the order and the consistency and the competitiveness of that top eight is going to be crazy in 20 years' time, I hope and I believe. After that, uh, so number nine is Scotland. Then you've got Lebanon, Greece, Ireland, Italy at number 13. Then you've got Wales, Serbia, Malta, Norway, USA, Poland, and Jamaica in number 20. Um, So hopefully those nations are rising and getting bigger and better as well, but hopefully we see some nations from outside of that coming in and, and really being competitive. For me, I see two big movers from outside of that top 20 who we will see in there in 20 years' time. Number one, I've mentioned them already, Canada. They're currently number 27. I think Canada has so much potential, man. Like crazy. A, a lot of it will <laughs> depend on what happens with the Wolfpack, I suppose, but that'll be, I guess, a small a small part of the bigger picture in 20 years' time, and I see Canada in that top 20. Uh, the other one is currently number 28 in the world, Nigeria. Nigeria, they're about to become an affiliate of the International Rugby League. They're going to be able to compete for World Cup spots. They're getting bigger and better, and Nigeria... Um, I think will be in the top 20. They'll definitely be a mover in that top 20. And I think they are the African nation with the most potential at the moment. Ghana's close as well. Shout out to the guys from Ghana who reach out to me regularly with news. Um, Ghana's up there too. But yeah, I think those are going to be the changes. Great question, Rob. Thank you very much. Uh, okay, so the big question, the big Ask Carbs question uh, for the uh, for this recording. It's all about the code war. So is there a code war? Why is there a code war? Does a code war between rugby league and rugby union still exist? It's a question we get a lot of and I I got it a few times um, during this when I reached out to you guys for questions. So um, I want to talk about that a little bit and it's a tough one. Like, look, yeah, obviously a code war does still exist, um, but... We've got a lot of listeners in particular in the USA who they don't understand it and they say, like, why is there a code war? This is not how shit works in the US. Like, all of our sports get along. The Yankees love the Giants and blah, 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 blah. You know, if you're from Boston, you go for all the Boston sports teams. They don't understand why or how. And I agree with them. Like, I understand that. Like, I think if the code war infiltrated the US... If they figured out, because <laughs> most of the population don't even know there's two Rugby's, right? But if they knew there was two Rugby's and they don't like each other, then I think a lot of American sports fans would be like, well, fuck this shit. We don't care. That's not how we do things. And I understand that. Um, but I guess, look, I'm not going to go through, we know why there's a code war. We understand the history. We understand rugby league sp- splitting, the Northern Union splitting in 1895. We know why. Uh, We know why that happened. We know what happened in Australia in in 1908 as well in New Zealand. Um, We know what happened in France uh, after World War II and places like that. And and we know about the discrimination um, that rugby league faced in nations like France and Italy and and parts of Yugoslavia and places like that, parts of Africa as well. Still happening to this day. Um, For me, like, I still... As I I agree with the whole there shouldn't be a code war or sports should be working together and all that sort of thing, but to be honest, like I do feel resentment against rugby union against union, um, and I think that's apparent in most of the heartland. So if you're in if you're in east coast of Australia, if you're in the south of France, south of France, they have every reason to to hate rugby union, and there's always going to be a bit of a code war there. If you're from the UK or what have you, or parts of Auckland, maybe, um, I understand that resentment because, like, growing up, and I've sort of touched on this before with one of the other questions, but growing up, like, there was definite uh, there was definite bias against me for being a rugby league fan, right? And I kind of felt that, um, and. We talked a little bit before about the working class background of our sport and the working class roots of our sport. Now, when I was playing rugby league as a kid, I grew up, I grew up in a part of Western Sydney, which was very multicultural. So there were kids from everywhere. And the team that I played for, the teams that I played for, you know, like under eights, under nines, under tens, there was a lot of kids kind of like me. So like Italian, Australian kids or Maltese kids or Croatian kids. Um, Filipino kids, like there was a lot of, like it was very multicultural, but we we're all sort of eth- ethnic, but still Australian. But back then, like you would call, like, if I because there were so many cultures, and like our parents or our grandparents were from other countries, when you spoke to people, like growing up in Western Sydney, when you met someone new, you know, you might meet a girl somewhere or whatever. And she'd say, oh, what nationality are you? And I'd say, oh, I'm Italian, you know. And that's kind of how it was back then. So you identified by the, your heritage as opposed to like, yeah, we're all Australian. We are born here, but you identified by your heritage. And so I guess why I'm mentioning that is the footy teams that I played for as a kid, there were a lot of like Italians, Maltese, Croatians, Filipinos, et cetera, et cetera. And... Yeah, we grew up in like a working class area, but being from the backgrounds that we're from, like a lot of our parents like owned businesses or, you know, owned property and things like that. So we weren't working class. We were closer to like white collar, I suppose. We weren't working class. We had money, we, or our parents did anyway, or we were comfortable, you know what I mean? So we weren't, we weren't like struggling. We weren't battling or most of us weren't anyway. So I grew up in this environment where we loved rugby league, but we weren't part of that traditional, like, working-class rugby league background. And that might sound weird. So I didn't know about growing up, like, I was oblivious to this whole working class versus private school versus, like, rugby league, rugby union thing. I was completely oblivious to it. We just played rugby league and watched rugby league because that was a sport that we loved. And it wasn't until I got, like, through high school and finished studying and started working in the city and in the real world where I started to s- understand this bias where you'd meet people from other areas and people that went to private schools and whatever. And you, you might be, you know, I remember times when I was sitting in board meetings and people would be like, oh, you're a rugby league fan. Oh, you know, you might, you're not, you know, like, oh, you're not as good as we are. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I know it sounds ridiculous. Um... And like, I don't didn't care at the time, like because I was comfortable in who I was and who I am, but there was definitely a bias there, and I'm sure a lot of people listening from Australia um, could probably relate to that story, like so I'm in this like professional corporate world all of a sudden, where most people are privately school educated and they liked union, and they look down on you for liking rugby league or playing rugby league or watching rugby league. Um, I will say that has changed a lot. So like fast forward like 15 years and that is very different now. You don't get a lot of that anymore and a lot of rugby union fans have come around to rugby league um, and, uh, you know, it's more accepting. So, but I guess the reason for that long winded story is just to explain why there is a resentment because still to this day, my initial knee jerk reaction is to resent rugby union and when the wallabies lose i'm like fuck that's how good is that the wallabies are shit and when nobody cares about super rugby in australia i think that's a win and i shouldn't think that way but it's my knee-jerk reaction and that's why there's a resentment and there is still a code war in that respect but i've kind of had a lot a bit of time to think about it and i speak to a lot of people about it as well and i've sort of noticed that like outside of my little world here in sydney where i live (laughs) obviously, there is pockets of the world where the code war doesn't exist and there's pockets of the world where it still does. So I had to think about where it does and where it doesn't and why it might be, what my hot take is on why I think it exists in some areas and and doesn't in others. So where it doesn't exist, we've already mentioned this, like the USA doesn't exist and we've got friends at Breft of the Dial on Twitter, for example, who I have a lot of conversations about. Shout out to you, mate. I have a lot of conversations about code wars and things like that. And in the USA, it doesn't exist. Um, There are maybe some, maybe there are some expats from, you know, UK, Ireland, Australia, where they sort of hold the grudge that they're involved in rugby league or rugby union. They hold the grudge in the US. But... Like for American born guys that are playing either code of rugby, they like they want to try both and they want to be great at both, and there's no problem with that. And it does not exist uh, in the Netherlands, it doesn't exist either, to my knowledge, as well. So, we saw earlier this year the international rugby league match between the ne- Netherlands and Ger- Germany. Uh, the guys were struggling to find a place where they could play this game because of COVID restrictions, and they had to change the location on several times uh, on several occasions. Well, it was a rugby union club, Club Zwolle, who came to the party and they said, we you can play at our ground, play at our stadium. So a rugby union club hosted a rugby league international match. So that's great. Like that to me says there's no code war there in the Netherlands. Greece is another one, no code war. Um, we have spoke about all the troubles that Greece have had and we talk about it a lot on this show and we've, we've covered it at length and, What a lot of people, when I talk to people about rugby league being banned at one point in Greece, people immediately say things like, oh, fuck, it must be Rugby Union's fault. Like, that's why it's banned, right? Because that's how things work. That's how it worked in France. That's how it worked in Italy. That's how it works everywhere. But no, Rugby Union had nothing to do with it. Um, It was purely a political thing. Um, So there's no real sort of code war there because, to to, to be truthful, like, Rugby League is probably a little bit bigger in in Greece than Rugby Union is. And and look, really, they're both minute compared to their major sports like soccer and basketball. But Rugby League is probably bigger in Greece. So those are some places where the code war does not exist. And I find it really interesting and intriguing. And I I love that. Like, I actually love that it doesn't exist. And there's potential for the codes to work together. Um, But where does it exist, right? We've already spoken about the heartlands. We know it exists in the heartlands to a degree. Um, other places where it does exist, one is Africa, right, it definitely exists in Africa, Ghana's an example, Um, I spoke to a guy, who I'm going to get on the podcast for season three very early on, so look out for this one, but I spoke to a guy who was banned for playing, banned from playing rugby union, because he played in a rugby league tournament, (laughs) and like, I I tweeted this as well, and we spoke about it online, and and people started going, yeah, it still happens here, and it still happens there, and it's true it does happen in parts of the world it happened in ghana um and it's to rugby union's detriment because this guy now like um is heavily involved in developing rugby league at school level in ghana and i can't wait to interview him and and bring that episode to you guys but that's an example of the code war existing in a non-traditional heartland like in ghana of all places it's there um, another one is Toronto in Canada, right? And we spoke about the U.S. not existing, but in to- why does it exist in Toronto, right? And and where it does exist is, you know, when with all the trouble that the Wolfpack have been having, um, they've had massive support from other major Toronto sports franchises. So all of the other major Toronto sports franchises have, like, come out in social media in full force and support of the Toronto Wolfpack. They want their brothers in Toronto to be a part of the Super League and be successful. Uh, but there was one sporting franchise that did not come out in support. And that was the, I think they're the Arrows, the Toronto Arrows, who are the Major League Rugby Union club. So to me, there's a little bit of a code war there. There's a bit of a struggle. Uh, another one that came up, um, Western Australia. So yeah, part of Australia, but not a traditional heartland. And a friend at in the sheds um, on twitter he he mentioned that kids as young as fourteen and fifteen are being given the ultimatum that if they play rugby league, they will be kicked out of the Western force academy, so these are like western force ex like ex super rugby club um some talented rugby kids in Western Australia who you know they can't play rugby league because they're going to be banned from playing rugby union where there are probably some more opportunities for them if we're going to be honest so i look at that i look at the non-traditional heartlands where the code war does exist and doesn't exist and something like became very obvious to me as to and that's my hot take i guess so i kind of understand why it exists in some areas and and doesn't in others and the common thread in all of those stories i mentioned six separate occasions there where it either does or doesn't exist the common thread is when Rugby Union feels threatened by Rugby League, its administrators do everything mm-hmm. that they can to stop its progress. Okay, so USA, they don't see a threat. They've got Major League Rugby. Rugby League is nothing over there, really. It's minute. There's no code war there. Netherlands, you know, Rugby Union, bigger than Rugby League, there's not much of a threat. They, they've got five clubs in their national competition, but... They're not on the world stage. They don't see it as much of a threat. They want to work together. Greece, not a threat. league's actually bigger than them. Nothing they can do about it. But in Africa, where a lot of rugby leagues are popping up, and and these are people that were maybe dis, disenchanted with the rugby union administration and moving to rugby league, so union sees it as a threat. Wolfpack, you know, seen as a threat to the Toronto Arrows. Uh, Ru- Western Australia, you know, the Western Force, seeing rugby league as a threat so when they see it they do everything in their power to stop it and it's not good um but i think it's why it's there and then what happens is us heartland rugby league fans who know the backstory and the history of our sport and how it all came about we start to get a bit wound up when we hear stories like this and we go oh fuck rugby union they're at it again and that's kind of why the code war, war exists um Personally, I want to try and not be like that anymore. Like, I don't, to be honest, like, good on, like, Union can do whatever they like. and I've said this in the podcast before as well, but I think as a sport, we need to grow out of Rugby Union's shadow. And the only only way we can do that is stop worrying about them, stop following them, and just do our own thing. And if Rugby Union want to put roadblocks up, they're entitled to. Like, they're trying to hold their position. So let them. But what we need to do as a sport, what Rugby League needs to do as a sport, is find more opportunities and pathways. And we need to grow new professional competitions and help kids understand and learn about the game and coach them in basic skills of the game and give them opportunities to represent their nations and give them opportunities to play at a professional level. Um, Because if we give them those opportunities, there's nothing anyone else can do to deter people from playing. Like if i look at the Ghana guys, exa- the guy from Ghana as an example, like he can play for rugby league at MEA level, he can play club level, there's opportunities for him to play and develop in the sport. So to him, he might think, who cares? I don't care if I don't play rugby union anymore. If they want to ban me, I'll play rugby league. I love it, you know. And if we give those opportunities as a sport, then it doesn't matter what anyone else does. And and the other thing too is like, I don't want to, I hate saying like, yeah, all rugby union people hate rugby league. It's not true. Like there are people that like both codes and there are some in every sport, I guess, that will always consider there to be a code war or or hate another code for one reason or another. But there's also going to be others that are going to be willing to work together. And I think the potential and again, Big T and I speak about this all the time, there is potential in sports to work together. Um, and there is, because people don't have to like just one sport. <laughs> like, it's, and our American listeners must listen to this and go, yeah, of course, like you're being ridiculous. But um, yeah, that's just the way it is. And um, yeah, I, I rambled on a little bit there, but I guess that's just my hot take. And I wanted to give you guys, I guess, some of my thoughts, the way I understand it and um yeah try and try and figure out in my head why there still is a code war and how we sort of need to move past code wars and bullshit and rubbish like that because it's ridiculous we we're bigger than that we're better than that and we've got other things to worry about so yeah that's my uh that's it guys that's my very long edition of ask carbs to get you going to ke- help <laughs> to get you going in between uh Chasing Kangaroos, Seasons 2 and 3. Big T and I have so much planned. Like, there's so many great things coming. Um, I've been mapping out some early episodes. We've got a couple recorded, but I've been mapping out some early episodes. I really want to change up the content a little bit um, this year. So, because I feel like we've been going at a great pace and we had a lot of content uh, for Season 2, but for Season 3, I really want to get more back to the core of what we're about, and that is about, you know, Shining a spotlight on places that people didn't realise played the game, but also helping people from those places, players, administrators, etc., become better at doing what they do uh, by giving them more learnings and and understanding, and interviewing people that have kind of done what they're trying to do and, and help them grow. So we're all about hashtag Grow Rugby League, and that's that is we are more than ever in season three. Chasing Kangaroos is going to be about that more than ever. So. I've been thinking about planning and organizing content around that um, around that theme, and we're going to be a little bit more laser-focused on what we're trying to deliver in Season 3, and there's going to be so many exciting things, so I'm really pumped for it. Um, season 3 is going to be huge. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for for being loyal, for listening. Um, and I guess all I ask is for you guys, so a couple of things I'll ask actually, this is carbs asking you now, it's a reverse ask carbs. If you are from a developing nation or club and you think to yourself, you listen to T and I talk about Golden Points, for example, and you think to yourself, why the fuck don't they mention us? Well, reach out via social media, tell us about you, tell us about your club, tell us about your nation, tell us what you're doing and we'll talk about it Um, we're very lucky to have a great network of people that feed us information all the time and that's how we get the the information that we get and people think how the fuck cubs how the fuck do you know all this how do you get this it's because we've got some great people connected to us that love our show love what we're doing and they want to be a part of it so if you're not one of those then I encourage you to reach out let me know what's going on Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or even LinkedIn Uh, let us know and we'll spread the word. We'll help shine a spotlight on what you're doing because that's what we're all about. Um, the other thing is, if you're not part of a developing nation or club, and you just you're here because you love hearing about this stuff, you're like me. You're an expansionist. You want an, you want rugby league to grow internationally. You want to see, you know, the World Cup be the pinnacle of our sport. Then the way you can help is telling your friends about us, um, writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get our podcast out there. Um, sharing it on social media as well. Um, those are the sorts of things you guys can do. So that's the reverse Ask Carbs, guys. I, I really appreciate the network, the community that we've built. I really appreciate you being a part of that. I really pre- appreciate you guys being helped. But like I say, Season 3 is going to be huge. There's some great opportunities for everyone to get involved in some certain things as well. Uh, I can't wait to talk more about that. But until then hope you're enjoying your rugby league. hope you enjoyed the NRL grand final, even though I thought it was a shit game. Um, hope you're enjoying your Super League, which is coming to a head as well soon. And I hope you enjoy State of Origin, which I think will be an absolute shellacking by New South Wales. I think they will pump Queensland. But, of course, that's what the Queenslanders want me to say, right? So (laughs) that's it, guys, from me. Ask Carbs, episode 002. Big T and I will be back with season three of Chasing Kangaroos, probably around December. Plenty of good stuff for you. Until then, fuck yeah, nobody.